Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hello again, listeners. It's Esther Gallagher this time, and Sarah is not with us today, sadly, but we have a wonderful guest again. Our guest today is Emily Flynn, and we're calling this show How Doulas Work with Contracts. And we're going to talk about what's good about working with a contract. Emily is just the gal to tell us about it. So, Emily, Um, I would love it if you could start by telling us what brought you to doula work and, um, and then we'll really just launch right into the whole contract. Great. Thanks, Esther. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. I got into doula work through two roundabout ways that kind of cross paths eventually. Um, first is just that I have from a giant family back east. And so pregnancy and babies was always a huge part of my life. And I knew my birth story and my siblings' birth stories my whole life. And they're, my family are good storytellers. So they were always dramatic and silly and fun. And it's always been in the back of my head. Um, and then I read the book Midwives with my mother during a mother-daughter book club when I was 14 and somehow had this vision of myself as a grandmother catching my grandbabies in a barn as a midwife. Don't really know how that popped in my head. Um, but I pushed it back and went about, you know, finishing high school and in college, I studied very dry international law. And I really, actually, really enjoy the dry language of law and the research. Um, So then I said about being a legal researcher for nonprofits in the U.S. and abroad. And I was working mostly on issues around refugees and migrant persons. And wow, most there's a timely subject. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Lots in the news is my head's buzzing with old papers that I wrote and how it's still the same problems now as before Before Um, and always and always. Yes. Um, and most refugees and migrant persons are women and children. And so I kept being funneled more into that aspect Mm -hmm. because I was really focused on trying to be as useful as possible in the work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was in Holland, I got a chance to hang out with the midwives who run the International Confederation of Midwives. We shared a um, like office hangout tea space for very, I wasn't there for very long. Um, But I started thinking about birth work again, came to the U S was back east for a little bit was trained in new york and then i moved out west with a partner um and i've kind of been here and there and about uh doing doula work 
still doing legal research for nonprofits around um, midwifery care and hospital policies and access to care uh, when I can. Um, but for the most part, just doing doula work and have been doing it for about nine years. Wow. That's great story. <laughs> I love that story. I always love listening to stories and hearing where um, my story overlaps and doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, and that took you in that direction, yeah. took me in this direction, yeah. and back around to the same thing. That's mm -hmm. so interesting and lovely. Thanks for sharing it. So you have a particularly... Interesting. I was thinking, Emily, how, um, you know, you came from this luxurious linguistic family, you mm -hmm. know, just verbal and storytelling. And then you said, and I love the dry language mm -hmm. <laughs> of the law. And, and I thought, well, there's a balancing, an interesting balancing place, right? Yeah. That we all have to find sort of or do you know maybe do find mm -hmm. um and it, and I was also thinking how you know birth and postpartum recovery they're such a time for the parents of kind of being in a metaphorical sense kind of blown blown yeah <laughs> blown up yeah you yeah. know um and every bit of whatever kind of language they're used to may or may not be something that um, helps them mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was also thinking how important it is as they're going, you know, as they're in the pregnancy and postpartum journey, that if they're going to have help and support, that that's a help and support that's grounded mm -hmm. and clear. Mm -hmm. and dis described, mm -hmm. descriptive, um, and that, you know, doulas need to hold that piece. Mm -hmm. So it's lovely to have your story and your orientation. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about how doulas in general, but doulas vis-a-vis -vis clients, uh, potential clients can do this this piece together. Mm -hmm. The contract piece? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a roommate in college who, she's in the art world, and I was doing my legal stuff, and um, I was talking at one point about this conversation I was a part of when I worked in New York and worked for a nonprofit about the language of law and this three-hour debate about the word and in a UN <laughs> resolution. Uh, I've heard about this debate. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it changed, the word and changed how um, these sovereign nations, what they were obligated to do in Sudan. It was about um, Darfur at the time. Um, and I was riveted by this and her, she listened to my story and was like, that's kind of dumb. I was like, all right, I'm in the right field. <laughs> She's in the right field. Um, but I think about that when I'm dealing with contracts and dealing with, um, how contracts set expectations for both parties in general. Uh, but certainly in this work, 
Uh, and particularly because doulas were not a new profession, but were kind of new, air quotes, mm-hmm. new, or maybe for, quote unquote, that type of parent, or um, the different cultures in the different cities and areas we work in. And so the expectations can shift and change um, depending on where we are and folks' expectations mm-hmm. of us and their expectations about pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum. And so a contract for a doula is a good way of introducing the language of the type of work we do. So the scope of our practice. And when I'm working with doulas on contract writing, I hammer this in over and over and over again. If you don't have the scope of practice in your contract, what good is your contract? Sure, you can have stuff about deposits and fees, but the scope is the most important thing in terms of protecting yourself. But then it's also a really great way of, of starting that conversation with the clients and potential clients about what do I do? What don't I do? And both in the broad sense of what is a doula and down to the nitty gritty of this is my practice and this is what my practice looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And being able to start those conversations in the interview process too can help families make a good decision about who to work with. Um, Because, you know, you might get someone, you have certain expectations of what a doula does or what you need because of your particular pregnancy experience or your particular care provider or your particular emotional state because of cultural influences or something in particular that's going on with your family uh, and being able to know the comfort level of that particular doula and what she provides in her practice is certainly talking about that I think is much more useful than that typical question that you see online to ask a doula about what's in her toolbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your scope mm-hmm. is a much better way of getting the useful information out of this person who might be part of the most intimate experience in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I understand that there are doulas who show up to interviews with, with a question for the potential client, which is, what would you like me to do for you? Yeah. Right. And, and that's a great question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never do that. So using myself as an example, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I show up ready to tell clients exactly what I do. Yeah. First. Yeah. Right. And that way, you know, the, the contract is second to that, but the contract is an affirmation yes. of that description of what's it going to look and feel like mm-hmm. when I'm in your home mm-hmm. to the, as best I can describe it. And mm-hmm. what I will, what I will point myself at, how I'll point myself there mm-hmm. and why. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because that's when you're actually describing scope of practice. If I say the reason I want to see you day one home from the hospital is because your body's going to be going through dramatic changes on that day. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. They're not going to wait until you're ready. They're they're going to be happening. They're going to look and feel somewhat like this. Mm -hmm. And I will address them thus. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you, you need to have that conversation and 
you know, with, it's really important to interview a couple of doulas. You might fall in love with one because of a website or feel like you want to get it done and hire people over the phone, which I almost never will accept <laughs> being hired over the phone. Even if you like really like me, I want a good sense. And it's partly for me, it's partly for the doula to be able to spend time getting a sense of, will I be able to have a safe and satisfying practice and experience and contract negotiation with this person or this family um, so that I can stay uh, not burnt out and enjoy this experience and enjoy my work and bring my best self to this person's very important experience. Um, And even though contracts can be intimidating and uh, doulas have contracts that are all over the yard because there isn't very good education about that. There isn't very good education about how to run a successful small business when you're trained as a doula, mm-hmm. you know, for good and bad. Um, so if you, it's nice to, as a family looking and interviewing a couple different people and looking at the contracts and being able to see the differences in what exists out there and then being able to bring that to subsequent interviews or follow-up conversations with Julius, especially, you know, you go to your, your first interview and if you've never, you still aren't a hundred percent sure what a doula is, mm-hmm. what a doula does, or why you're doing this. You just heard it's a good idea. Maybe yeah. um, your sister had a doula and, you know, couldn't have said she couldn't have done it without it. Mm-hmm. She could have, but mm-hmm. made the experience better. Um, but the contract seems to be an afterthought for so many people or um that they're getting into the nitty gritty about cancellations and fees and things mm-hmm. and not looking at how the contract reflects this person's practice and this person's communication style. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a really nice way of having another piece of documentation. And maybe you want someone who spells everything out in paper. Maybe you aren't totally turned off by the doula who has the two paragraph contract that says I love babies and (laughs) I love working with babies and stuff and it's like now the contract is just a nice letter Mm -hmm. to somebody um which is sort of fine and sort of not. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember seeing a lot of those contracts when I first Loving started. Loving babies isn't a scope of practice. It's not a scope of practice. Put that on your website. Yeah. Keep it out of your contract. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as, you know, sometimes uh, people get too in the weeds about things. and um, But that's a good sign for a doula, too. If, someone, if a family is coming in and wanting them to adjust certain things in their practice... That's a good red flag, maybe, for that doula to say, I'm not comfortable taking this on. Like, in my postpartum contract, I have an addendum that I don't work with any of those electrical gadgets, those sleep aids or sleep monitors, and and I won't plug anything into an app um, because I don't think they're safe, and I don't want to take that liability, and I've done the research to know that they're not Mm -hmm. good, and they increase postpartum depression. Uh, so if a family is dead set on working with their $1,200 snooze, they're free to do that when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but, but they can't ask you. They can't ask me to do it to and be involved in it. Yeah, yeah, and I make them sign something that says that because that's important to me in my practice. Mm-hmm. I've had enough intense experiences around those things. Mm-hmm. To ju- I mean, everyone was safe and fine, but yeah. you know, it was an uncomfortable experience, and so just having that. And, and moving forward with that in my practice was important. And it's important for parents to know that part of my practice too. So it's a two-way street. It's always a conversation. Uh, and these sort of official documents should always be seen as a conversation and not something overly intimidating. That's so nicely put because I was thinking as you were just saying that, Emily, that not only is the contract just... Um, a documented form of the conversation that you have had that you're having now, and that is always open to some form of modification, right? Like there's no such thing as never, never a possibility. For yeah. Change. It's a living document. It's a living document. Yeah. It's part of, as you called it so beautifully, a conversation. But I think also the thing that I learned over low these many, many years, and I've always worked with contracts, is it's a conversation I'm having with myself. Oh, yeah. As well. Yes. Just like you pointed out, it's like, oh, I was asked to do something I never imagined mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. and realized that for my own comfort and safety, mm-hmm. I needed to put a boundary around that thing. Yep. And Mm -hmm. it's going to show up in my contract and it's going to sound like this. Mm -hmm. And if and when clients ask for a description of that, or perhaps in my interview beforehand, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it clear why that's in my contract. Yeah. So again, you know, just because it's written down doesn't mean it's dead. (laughs) Like you said, like it's, it's not dead. It's just a way to have a boundary Mm -hmm. um, that, then if necessary, can be negotiated. Yeah. Not all boundaries can be. Yep. Um, and that's why we signed documents. Yeah. And it can, and a lot of things, a lot of things with contracts we don't negotiate. So our like terrible phone bill contracts, there's not room for negotiation, mm-hmm. but more intimate one-on-one interpersonal things that we do. So mm-hmm. everything from buying a house um, marriage contracts, things like that. There is some negotiation. Mm-hmm. And so there is room and it's, you can go back and forth in email. You can do phone calls. I like to do in-person contract signings to just make mm-hmm. sure uh, that we're on the same page. And I might pop in and spend an extra 15 minutes mm-hmm. with a couple going over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. And, and we like learning from clients too. So don't feel as new parents too intimidated by that. You're like telling us what to do or wagging your finger. Look at it as a chance to ask questions and feel Mm -hmm. secure so that you don't feel like there's arguments later, especially you, you don't want to be negotiating things in a contract in the middle of labor or when the baby is there. Also, that's just not going to happen (laughs) at that point. we're good and we're going to show up and do our job and do the best we can in that. Um, but like I had clients who uh, over the summer who asked me, I didn't have anything specific about what if there was a loss of baby in the contract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't 
feel like I need to have that in my contract. I don't like putting that in my contract, but it was really important to them that I did. So I took that away with me, sat and wrote something that felt okay for me in the language that felt like they were getting what they needed to mm-hmm. sign the contract. Mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't something that I had to, I wasn't pushing the boundaries of my practice to make that accommodation mm-hmm. for them. And I didn't add it to any of my other contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a three line addendum in there and it made them feel good and it made me feel good and we had a great working relationship and it never came up yeah you know it makes me think about and of course this is you know one of those subjects that um uh sometimes i'm talking with clients about and sometimes i'm not Mm -hmm. it's a good subject but it's not always a place somebody can go yeah right Mm -hmm. and so it's one of those ways that we have to be instinctive about how we're caring for clients before they're even our clients yeah sometimes yeah um but also i wanted to circle it around to um you know it's it's often the case a question comes up in interview with uh, potential birth clients and it's a good question it's been one of those things that um when it whether or not it has come up in advance it still gets revisited in these particular cases and the question is um, you know, I see that you're on call for me. I, it's wonderful. And, you know, we're looking forward to whatever their idea of their birth trajectory is natural childbirth. Let's just mm-hmm. use that. That's not an often used mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thing. But what if we have to have a C-section? Mm-hmm. Often potential clients are even more specific. What if we have to have a planned C-section. Yes. What do we need you for? Yeah. And of course I have an answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, what they might need me for. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is a, it's, it's the kind of tricky situation that comes up for Duluth because after all, it's important that clients understand that there's a limit to how many clients we can take in a, in a given month. And Uh therefore our income is limited. Yes. Right. We don't have endless opportunity to make the income that we're doing. So part of the understanding when a doula signs a contract is that she's made that time and space, which Mm -hmm. is way up in the air. Yeah. Right. She's made that time and space available for the client. Yeah. And we'll see to it that they will get the care. Mm Mm-hmm. In exchange for that payment, yeah. And so, um, it is. It's a. It's a tricky question because sometimes, really, in actuality, these things come up, and the clients really prefer to then manage that themselves, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. right? Which is fine. Yeah. What's not going to be fine for a doula is having to give up that income. Yeah. So it's just a good thing to think about. Mm -hmm. It would be a shame if clients therefore thought, well, I'm not even going to hire a birth doula because what if, Yeah. right? What if I put out this money and then decide I don't 
want it. Mm-hmm. Well, people do that every day. They buy, they pay big money into insurance policies for other things. Oh, totally. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that a doula offers any sort of guarantees for outcome. Mm-hmm. But we are... We do offer a kind of support, mm-hmm. social, emotional support, physical comfort support, etc. What we're offering, offering mm-hmm. you know, is something that we show up for, mm-hmm. whatever the situation, to the best of our capacity. Mm-hmm. And so it is. It's an, a funny, interesting, and very common yeah. uh, eventuality. What's much more likely to happen statistically and in the world is that you're going to have the C-section that wasn't predicted in advance, wasn't planned. Your doula will have spent days at your side Mm -hmm. and then you have a Mm C-section. So, you know, if we're looking at this as sort of a reality check, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's much more likely that your doula would have been with you a whole lot more. It would right. be a whole, whole much less contained time frame yeah. that she would have spent with you if you then have a C-section. Right. And so, um, again, you know, it, because we do our work on sort of a broad continuum of possibility, I, I think um, having thinking of your doula as a resource mm-hmm. <laughs> Rather than somebody who's going to be wedded to a specific, you know, a tightly specific um, uh, sort of screenplay mm-hmm. idea of, you know, like a birth plan, you know, right. is a mistake. And therefore, all the more reason mm-hmm. to think of it as a conversation. Exactly. And so that made me think of a handful of things. One is that if there's any doulas out here listening, you need to figure out what your parameters are around that eventuality. And you need to write that into your contract. Um, and doulas can offer a lot of different things. It's also as a doula, a good idea to set your deposit rate to be what, if you didn't get that second half or however you do your payment plans that you, the deposit will like get you through that month. So that's how I set my deposit. Um, and then for parents to think about that, that deposit covered the interview, any resources and materials that the doula had the time they spent with you probably prenatally already. And then, you know, a lot of times plan cesareans still happen fairly late on Mm -hmm. in pregnancy and your doula might've still been on call for you for some time. Mm -hmm. And then likely, you know, we hold our clients in us until we feel that the contract has ended or there's been Mm -hmm. some resolve. So that emotional and resource space that the doula is holding and that we're probably going to contact you after your birth and see how you're Mm -hmm. doing and see if you need help and knowing that you're paying like the insurance idea that you're paying to hold someone that you can text and call and email in the middle of the night during your recovery or, you know, when you come back from the hospital on day five and you suddenly feel alone, that you have this person who already held space for you Mm -hmm. and will continue to hold space for you. So we're not 
you know, you don't have a cesarean birth. And now because your plans have changed, you have yet another person that you feel like has changed expectations or, Mm -hmm. you know, given up on you. So it's, it's part of this conversation just is triggering a lot in my head about just how do we talk about birth and risk Mm -hmm. and, and changes in birth in general, but that's a separate long podcast conversation about the language around that. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's interesting because, you know, we get to learn a lot about our clients or potential clients through the questions, the things that stand out to them in our contracts. Mm-hmm. And that one about the cesarean birth is really common, uh, like you said. And, and sometimes when that conversation is coming up a lot, it's a red flag for me about, is their care very risk based are they getting a lot of information already about how they might be walking down the plank to the eventual cesarean Mm -hmm. and thinking about how you know one in three births in the united states does wind up being a cesarean birth you know major surgical birth i'm not um judging american parents for having that approach, but we can either Jules, you can choose to either like use that as a launching pad to talk about the care and, and talk about care provider and the space and what information have you been getting about your birth and why do you feel this risk? Why do you feel this, uh, the thing about, and then do you understand what I do as it do that mm-hmm. so you can this converse this can actually open up a lot of avenues which then after that conversation should give both parties a better sense of the um what they might want expectations and the philosophy around these mm-hmm. things so instead of seeing that as a again as a scary part see it as a really a beautiful open door yeah conversation that might change everybody's experience mm-hmm. overall um and yeah, again, and for doulas too, thinking about maybe putting in there something about, well, I'll do a few more postpartum visits or yeah, what are you something. willing to offer? Should your client need to shift where her care goes? Right, right. I mean, and same with what it, does that look like? Same with if it was a transfer, a home birth transfer or a birth center transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and doulas, you can you know figure out how much of that you want to put in your contract or not. There's also being able to have separate sheets where you talk about those eventualities that parents just have in advance that they can feel free to look at mm-hmm. or not look at. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's something that comes up a lot with, you know, home birth supported birth center supported births. What happens if we transfer? What right. does that look like? Yeah. So it's a lot of different situations. Um, but yeah, it can be a really, I think it's a really cool opportunity for parents to like, I've never even thought of that. Mm-hmm. Or I was focusing so much on this one thing that now this conversation has opened up a lot of other doors and um, to getting the different responses from different doulas should help you make up your mind about, oh, I like their approach to problem solving or I like that that package exists or mm-hmm. that they have that experience or this is what makes me feel like they're really on my side mm-hmm. through this process. So mm-hmm. yeah, it can be really a beautiful gift to have an anxiety about a portion mm-hmm. of the contract, <laughs> I guess is what I'm yeah. going with. Yeah. Well, and, and as often as not, um, the, the phrase C-section comes up because, and, and let me just say the naturally naive first time mother 
is very likely to have heard out in the world that doulas reduce, right? And this is how they hear it. Doulas reduce C-sections, the risk of C-sections unnecessary you know the word unnecessary goes out the window it's just like all c-sections if i have a doula i'm less likely to have one well that's a nuanced conversation as well right like um you don't have to feel like a potential target of a c-section right but let's stay reality based just because you have a doula doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you won't have a c-section and your doula is going to be your social emotional support and Mm -hmm. resource guide once you have that contract to help you navigate like Mm -hmm. what's your relationship to this actual process which is what getting pregnant starts you off on oh yeah if you have a super healthy pregnancy with a home birth midwife you still have a three percent chance of having a cesarean so there's nothing you can do that checks that out the window um Mm -hmm. so it's worth thinking about and talking about but again yeah, can open up a lot of doors for um, bigger, maybe less stressful conversation too. Yes. Um, but that, on that point, one of the things that I I really love about working with Julius with the contracts in uh, various ways is reinforcing this idea of, of talking to clients about how we're not these tokens or magical talismans that yes. save people. <laughs> From things like, I just need to show up with my doula shield and they're somehow going to fight the Mm -hmm. staff and they're going to physically body check. I mean, I have wanted to, but I do not do that. I have not smacked anything out of a doctor's hand, though it's been tempting. Um, You know, I stay within my scope as a non-clinical provider. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I'm, you know, we wind up being for better or worse a low person on the totem pole in the decision-making process and a birth to a certain extent. So, and, and yet what we do provide, which I hope is a form of social emotional support yes. in those moments right. that helps them, whether it's helping them navigate the language mm-hmm. the doctor used, because right. that, you know, for somebody who didn't quite get what they just heard, mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge moment. Yeah. I just, Oh, this is why they're talking to me about that. If it's, I see that you're confused. I see I'm witnessing you and noticing that there might be some anger here or Mm -hmm. some grief in this moment. And you have a moment to have that grief. Oh, absolutely. Whatever. However, the doula can show up and be first the witness and Mm -hmm. second, the social emotional support in that witnessing Mm -hmm. can be huge because after all, the reality check on why doulas make a difference is that it's the sense of satisfaction at the end of the journey that is experienced by the birth givers that is really why doulas are out there. Totally. Right. It's like, I felt I understand, understood at the time and understand my journey mm-hmm. on a level that I can't imagine being able to without that form of support. And it's that nuanced conversation of that's what actually, that's one of the big things that lowers interventions is right. that time and that space. I think a lot of new parents, and this comes up pretty clearly in interviews 
when they ask about, I get the common question of how do I interact with staff, which mm-hmm. is also something I have in a scope of practice that I don't speak for you and that I'm not speaking to the staff on your behalf on, you know, clinical things beyond like, you know, they ask when was the last time you peed and ate and things like yes, that. Like sure. I can answer that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but um it, that conversation really helps me talk about uh, those nuanced things in our scope and how doulas are there to be that continuity of care that's missing in that gap and that full satisfaction mm-hmm. place and being able to hit on some of those notes of, of uh, we make birth safer, which looks a lot of different ways for different people beyond this kind of triggered words of, cesarean mm-hmm. birth or yeah, whether or not your body or, will be safe right there i think a feeling of safety is an emotional yes yeah you know because experience. You have, it's, it's a reg- somatic experience it's regardless of the outcome mm-hmm. and so i use my contract too as a way to in the interviews talk about that like i don't my fee doesn't change based on your outcome because the outcome, to, I mean, the outcome is very likely going to be healthy mom and healthy baby. So getting more into the the weeds of the outcome of, did you have an epidural? Did you have a cesarean birth? Did you have an induction? Things like that is not, doesn't change. I don't get gold stars. I don't mm-hmm. get paid more if you have an unmedicated vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. I don't get bragging rights. Mm-hmm. I get to feel like I'm useful and contributed to you if at the end of whatever your experience was, you felt like you had someone on your side, you got the best birth you could have with whatever physiological happenstance occurred on the day of your labor, um, that you feel like you weren't disrespected or bullied or, I mean, because normally they're not, people are expecting, I think, to be yelled at in the birth space like <laughs> okay. we're doing this now and have it be dramatic but it normally comes with a very nice resident squatting next to your bed mm-hmm. and telling you that this is just what they're going to do now without a reason mm-hmm. um and folks that don't have a doula or don't understand what a doula's role is as kind of the interpreter and the space creator might think that we're there to to do something that's more um blaring and and obvious mm-hmm. um superhero yeah some kind of I, I mean i don't want to replace medical choreography with some kind of like quote-unquote natural choreography or some kind of me taking over and having ego about my methodology or the thing that i know if you do these 10 steps mm-hmm. these are my 10 doula steps that will mm-hmm. guarantee you a vaginal birth with no drugs like that doesn't exist Perfectless. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's also not the point mm-hmm. you know your process and journey through this experience and uh, the satisfaction that you have and when you're holding your baby when you get home um, and you're feeding your baby how we're going to feed your baby and you're, you know, hunkered down wherever you're hunkered down with the people around you that you chose, that you feel good about your experience or you feel like you have a safe space to process the things that weren't so good. And that's my job, mm-hmm. whether or not you have 10 stitches in your perineum or 
yeah. a road rash kind of thing. You know, like it's, we're there to do whatever. Um, doulas are really about that adaptability and that flex and that like zoomed in, honed in focus on your experience. Yeah. Well said. Um, we're going to have to wrap up. Sadly, I never like wrapping up. <laughs> I could go on for days <laughs> talking about all these wonderful things. Um, but Emily, um, why don't you give us your um, contact information sure. so people know how to find you? Yeah. Um, I, you can find me at rosewoodconsult.com. Um, and my contact information's on my website, but my email is probably the best way to get a hold of me from that. And it's just doula at rosewoodconsult.com. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And you, how, why don't you tell us how you, um, I like how you describe your work on your website, having mm -hmm. gone to your website. Do you want to just kind of give the overview of the work you do? Cause sure. I, it, it extends beyond what I would call strictly doula. Yeah. So I've, I've just kind of branched out and, and started to formalize this idea of being a health consultant. Mm -hmm. Cause I think doulas do do that, but I've, I've gone and, and reached out and started to do, um, more work with just well person, more like well woman care. I'm super interested in like my dream is to work with young women who are tra tra transitioning out of pediatric care into needing some gynecological support. Mm -hmm. So working with parents and um, you know coming of age mm -hmm. folks on yes. finding good care because mm -hmm. uh, too many people are traumatized by their first gynecological experiences and then just don't go back for their annual visits. And I just, I hear too many of the stories and it's pulled my heartstrings. Yeah. Um, so there's that portion. I just work with all folks on, on that kind of um, hormonal education and nutritional support and finding great care providers because uh, it's really important who you work with. Um, and then, so I've also extended that now. So doing more consultations with pregnant folks and new parents in that realm. And so beyond just having me on board and on deck and ready to go for the big day is working with families earlier on to talk about those things about how do I find a care provider? How do I find a doula? What is the difference between hospital A and hospital B, the birth center versus home birth? Mm -hmm. um, do trying to do a lot of postpartum prep consultations mm -hmm. because I work with families in postpartum a lot and I've worked I was an infant care specialist in a daycare for a little bit. It's working with slightly older babes in that mm -hmm. realm and those transitions and just parents are getting a lot of bad information in that vulnerable period. And so wanting to work with folks sooner in all these capacities and hopefully catching people before they have to deal with the, oh no, I thought my doctor would have told me something at week 35 and I'm still waiting. Mm -hmm. And so I better hire a doula. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my vision. It's just catching people before they even start falling. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, hopefully that'll improve everybody's experiences. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. 
Thanks, Emily, so much for coming over, having tea, and telling us all about it. I really, really appreciate it. And um, you gave us so much good um, food for thought, but also just straight talk about, you know, why and how. And it's really helpful. I have um, something up on my blog about postpartum expectations. It's kind of an edited slightly redacted version of the handout that I give to postpartum families that I wrote after kind of a bad experience as a teaching experience of like, I need to put this in writing, but I would love for parents to check that out. And it's pretty applicable to, Mm -hmm. to birth folks looking for birth doulas as well, which is about how those conversations can go and how putting that investment in at that longer interviews and and longer chat time can really help you in the long run. And you'll have a better ooey gooey, lovey, um, cool relationship with this person. That sounds great. And we, if you like, we'll publish that on our site. So people who are going right to the site, whether or not they've heard your interview yet, will see that. Yeah. Thank you. Be great. Cool. Okay, Emily. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Esther. Um, Thanks everybody for tuning in and um, showing up for another episode and take care in the meantime. Bye-bye. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake